A seismic shift has taken place in the world of work. Diversity and inclusion are no longer simply nice to have. These concepts are front and centre of how we do business. I'm Rachel Wilson, MD of diversity consultancy EW Group, and I'm excited to welcome you aboard season four of the Reworked podcast. Join me in conversation with the leading thinkers and doers on diversity as we unpick the fabric of working culture to discover how inclusion can become the golden thread that runs throughout all aspects of business. The way in which we welcome the full diversity of opinions and lived experiences into our organisations, into meetings and other workplace conversations, really sets the tone from the start. And doing that by name can be very powerful. We've heard more and more recently about this term safe space and the idea of creating psychological safety for everyone in the room. And that's the subject of today's episode. The aim of the safe space is to create an environment where people can feel emotionally brave and not judged. And where the barriers to constructive challenge do not go up. So safe spaces, they're not the same thing as comfortable spaces. In fact, they are conducive to healthy disagreement and can be a genuine engine of innovation and creativity. So I've gathered three EW Group experts to speak to today, Sharla Smith, Nina Mailer, and David Rubain. I'm going to ask them for their views on what a safe space is, why it's a useful term for organizations to explore, and what the positive ripples might be of creating a safe space. So how does it help organizations who are really looking to ramp up their inclusivity? So Charlotte, I'm really interested to know um, what psychological safety or a safe space means to you, and maybe there's some difference between the two for you in terms of terminology. Um, how do you define those things? Yeah, I like the term safer space, safer rather than just safe space, um, because I feel like that really underlines the intention so the intention is always to create a safer space and I feel like that terminology as well means that I am being as transparent and honest as I possibly can and not guaranteeing something that I don't feel that I can honestly guarantee so um and when I when I hear that term, it immediately makes me feel safer just because it's been acknowledged that a safe space might be idealistic. Um, I feel like psychologically, we all come from different places, you know, uh, our experiences culturally, we all come from different places, we all have different thoughts about our society, our world. And so as part of trying to offer a psychological um, safe, safe space, uh, the transparency and honesty has to come through that that is an attempt that I'm trying to make. Yeah, I like that. So it's an intention setting. Yes. Um, rather than a, a promise. Yes. Um, but there is a level, I guess there is a level of... Uh, commitment that you're making to to to, to try and achieve a, a place that is as um safe for as many people as possible 
Of course, because in saying words like transparency and honesty and a safer space, I have found people then feel safe in the space. Mm. So just by offering those terminologies and being true to it myself, um, I feel like I have seen a shift in results. Mm. Okay, that's interesting. Um, can we talk, just talk about how this is relevant to workplaces? So I, I know when we talk about safe space at EW Group, we are often talking about a training room mm-hmm. environment, but it's not just limited to that, is it? No, I feel like um, it's really important that that is something that we're starting to cultivate and something we're starting to think about in all areas. We are having a conversation about things that can trigger a lot of emotions um, in our world today. And what's happening is I feel sometimes where we potentially could be excluding people Um, and silencing people um, by not acknowledging they might not share the majority view. And whilst I definitely feel like, for me, I have um, clear belief systems in terms of inclusion, in terms of equality, in order to offer that, I feel like... um, there has to be room for people to truly air where they're at mentally, which in a weird way might mean that we all have to do some work on feeling psychologically safe ourselves as individuals, you know, before we embark on like sessions, how we tend to do them, or like maybe a leader would have to do particular some particular work as an individual before then being able to lead. Um, That might be what is required, you know, because when people are opening up and being honest, that can also trigger things in us. So are we psychologically safe as leaders, as facilitators, when we're trying to cultivate a safe space and trying to offer transparency and honesty if someone says something that we might we might not agree with how do we feel in that in in that moment and so what helps me is when I'm not doing a session when I'm not facilitating I'm making sure that I'm as much as I can practicing self-care I'm making sure that I'm psychologically not exposing myself to too many things so that when I am doing my job I have the um, emotional, um, what's the word, capacity to deal with things that might be said and actually help that person rather than be triggered myself and then go into mute myself. Mm. So is, is part of that work then that, put, that individuals might do um, themselves about working out what those triggers might be? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Yes. Yeah, and I think this is really interesting from a leadership point of view. So you just did just mention that as an example. And let's let's just talk about that for a moment. So um, in terms of what leaders can do to and what, what, what have you got any thoughts on what, what some of the I don't know, is it some questions that leaders could ask themselves about where they're up to in terms of their own thinking around this or how can they become more resilient and more psychologically equipped? Is that the right phrase? Yeah. 
Yes. Um, well, because how I go into sessions saying that I'm going to uh, be as transparent and honest as I can be, then I need to be true to my word. So in private, the questions I'm asking myself are as transparent and honest as I can be. And sometimes um, for myself, for a long time, I felt like I've been living in delusion. And so I've had to ask myself some really hard questions, hard questions that go as far back as my childhood, my parenting, my upbringing, my school, um, where my privileges, where my disadvantages are, and trying to be as honest and transparent as I can and asking people that I trust and that I love and that I admire what they think as well. So they've got, so I've got an outside perspective of how I might come across the things I might need healing in. And I'm listening to those people without trying to be defensive or have walls up. Mm. Though, along those lines are the things that I constantly try to do. I try to listen to mission um, from a diverse range of people in my private time. At times it can make me angry, a clock when it does, and ask myself questions. Why did that upset me? When I hear a leader, um, someone maybe from government or, uh, yeah, someone like from government say something and it upsets me, why, 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 why? <laughs> you know, asking myself those questions, writing it down, getting to the root of my triggers um, so that, and, and I feel like that is honestly, that honestly helps me to be a better leader in the room because I'm aware of my, um, of my triggers. And to sometimes actually say, actually, I find this really triggering. So can we take five minutes? Mm. Mm. There's so, so much power in taking a pause, isn't yes, it? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And there's so much power in admitting that you are human and that things might feel upsetting to you or there might be things that you don't agree with and allowing that space for someone else to give you their perspective and still not being judgmental of their perspective, even though you might disagree with their perspective. Mm. That's fascinating, Charlotte. So interesting that, to hear how you approach it yourself. Um, there's so much, there's, there's so much vulnerability wrapped up in this, isn't mm. there, about it, developing your own awareness um, of what your triggers might be. Um, so from a, just sort of teasing out what you're saying about how, a leader might set up, let's, I'm just imagining like a leader running a, an all staff meeting, let's say, there's something isn't there in the setup of how that leader introduces themselves and explains yes, the yeah. thinking that they've done, um, maybe, maybe shares a little bit of their own personal perspective or their personal, um, what, what they need yes. as an individual to create, to yeah. have a safe, safe space that's really powerful. Yes, yes. And I feel like um, there's a flexibility um, that's quite nice as well, or like that I tend to warm to. So that thing of, okay, leaders are mainly geared towards being quite directive. Um, 
And I feel like that's needed and there's definitely space for that. But also uh, some people don't respond well to that. And there's some circumstances where a leader's required to definitely take the back foot and listen, um, ask for advice. You know, uh, there's space for that flexibility between those two things. In what moments do I need to be directive? In what moments do I need to take a kind of indirect position and listen and be more open? And how can I flex those different styles to my team? What members of my team need me to be hands-on and say, I need this done then? And which members of my team um, like to be given a task and take ownership of that task, knowing my staff? Where were they from? How do they respond? What do they work well with? Who do they work well with? Mm. So all of those kind of um, nuances, I guess, um, are helpful. I have found helpful and not as a leader, but on the uh, other end of how I like to be led. Mm. So it goes hand in hand with an emotional intelligence, doesn't it? And, <laughs> yes. Empathy. Yes. Yeah. To get this right as a leader. So interesting. Thank you. I mean, that's just leadership. And I could ask you about lots of other topics, but I, I'm going to pop off and go and interview one of our other consultants. <laughs> now. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, we'll speak to you again in the future, I'm sure. Hello, Nina. Nice to see you. Hi, Rachel. Pleased to be here. Thanks for giving us a little bit of your time on this subject today. Um, I was just speaking to Sharla um, about safe spaces and she has this really interesting really positive way I think of, of framing this but she likes to talk about safer spaces mm. so that when you're entering into that contract with um, the people you're in the room with that you know this is an aspiration and a kind of mm. by mutual agreement rather than a promise of something that we can all agree on sure um, yeah. what's your what's your take on safe spaces and maybe psychological safety and the two concepts because they're maybe slightly different for different people aren't they yeah i think it's a it's a it's a really good point to to try and differentiate between safe spaces safer spaces and psychological safety so my understanding if we if we look at psychological safety to begin with my understanding has has really uh, grown and come from amy edmondson's work um, on on psychological safety, she's done a lot. Of, she's written a book in 2019 called "The Fearless Organization," and she's done so much research on what is this thing called psychological safety. And she 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 termed it as being a shared belief. It's a shared belief where the environment is safe for interpersonal risk taking where fundamentally people feel safe to to share their thoughts their feelings they're quite raw thoughts and feelings as they're evolved rather than feeling that they they may be guarded in what they want to share and what may feel safe in that particular environment um, oh that's interesting so that kind of that taps really obviously into innovation doesn't it and actually absolutely have it getting this right will mean that you can kind of almost get to the nub of things straight away. Um, Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And, and Amy Edmondson did some research on linking um, organisational performance with that, that concept of psychological safety, where somebody will not feel humiliated or embarrassed or even laughed at for, for sharing some quite raw thoughts as 
they pop up into their head. So when you think about innovation, it is about thinking completely new or cooking up new ideas. Well, how can you do that? How can you foster innovation if we don't have the psychological safety where mm. you can really be free to express thoughts? Mm. So, um, so I, I was really, really interested with, with her work. And so that, that's where I have got to so far. And in terms of safer spaces, and I like the, the safer spaces terminology because it is indicative and, and a strong message that as an organization, we may not be there yet. And as part of a narrative in, in building a culture of psychological safety is to be open from a leadership point of view and also to be open to say that we're on that journey. So having safer spaces is a great way of um, bringing the organization, the people in the organization along with the vision of of developing a culture of, of psychological safety and therefore safer spaces. Yeah, absolutely. So that, that's really that's a really interesting concept about how maybe levels of innovation in, in an organization will um, is 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 a is an end product of, of having a, a psychologically safe or safe, safer spaces kind of environment for mm -hmm. your staff. Um, so let's that's let's stick with the workplace then and, and think about other ways in which maybe this could be where this might be applied because i know we, we often think about this in a training setting and obviously in our work we're we're setting up training um environments so that people feel included and safe and able to share their own personal experiences but where else have you where else do you think this is useful for, for organizations to think about applying some of these principles i think it's um it's, 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 I think it starts really at leadership level. I think it, in the, the concept of psychological safety um, is, is about developing the culture um, within the organisation and that can be organisation as a whole, but it can also be within teams. Mm. So, so, for instance, a, a middle manager could, could um, uh, with their, with their education, understand the concept of psychological safety and then look to see how they can harness that concept and really develop it in their teams. So mm. if, we, if we look at, um, if we take that then at, at team level, so we've, we've got a manager who wants to harness that, um, there's been some great work by Timothy Clark in um, April 2020. He talked about the various stages of harnessing psychological safety within a team and he was saying that fundamentally there are four stages and um, and the first stage he, he termed it as being inclusion safety where essentially the manager can work at um, developing that inclusivity at really base root level so being inclusive that I'm showing up to work I'm, com I'm coming into the team environment as a human being like you, like me, we're just human beings. We have a whole wealth of experiences and shared beliefs. Um, we're committed to, to the service of, of, of the team, the team goal. So at base level, if we have that inclus inclusive safety, then that's a great place to start. Mm. Mm. And once we've got that, that, then Clark was saying, we then move on to a learner safety uh, situation where, um, the, the, the team employees feel safe to share. 
Mm -hmm. They feel safe to ask questions, for example, where they, where they know they're not going to be judged mm -hmm. for any question. Any question is acceptable. And um, within that level, he was, he was talking about the, the, the concept, uh, concept of experimentation, where it's, it's okay to fail, that through experimenting, um, new ideas can, can evolve. And through experimentation, testing ideas is also part of that learner safety, where they may not know the outcome, but they're going to just test it in that, in that environment. And really through that participation comes up. So that's still the learner safety. And then Clark talked about the contributor safety. So that's where, where we're now becoming even more comfortable to contribute our really deepest thoughts and share our beliefs of what could be in that team rather than be led by the manager. Mm. And then to really get to the, the full cycle of yes. safety. What's, what's the fourth level? What, what's the fourth one? Exactly. So Clark was saying it's the challenger safety mm. where we feel totally safe to respectfully challenge the status quo, to really challenge what, what the, the manager is trying to steer and bring our own expertise and skill set from within the team to challenge new, new exciting ideas to, and to challenge the, the vision that the manager has because what's happening at, at grassroots level, the manager may not be fully aware of. Mm. So, mm. so I think you know, that the, it's great to have a bit of a roadmap there of how an organization can develop that at team level, but also organization level, we're looking at the culture, the overall culture. That's fascinating. And there's so many, um, just just fabulously positive outputs that you're gaining in each step of each way through those four levels around mm. participation and challenge and innovation and you know obviously to get to that point there's there's a lot of work that has to be done around understanding vulnerability of mm. everyone's vulnerability and risk and yes, you absolutely. know we're we, we're, um, got to, we've got to do some thinking about some big things before we get to that point. But the, the payoff is um, is really exciting. So yeah. thanks, thanks for sharing that model, um, Timothy Clark. And we need to go away and look at that. And also Amy, Amy Edmondson. Edmondson. Yeah. So yeah, that's yeah. too brilliant. Uh, there's two names to go and Google straight away. Um, I'm going to pop off and speak to David now and get his perspective. Any any final thoughts from you, Nina, on on this topic? Well, I just think it is, it, it's a gold. I think it's a gold nugget for, for organisational performance and really driving change. I think if organisations can, can spend the time and really invest in understanding the concepts, um, whether it's safer spaces or psychological safety, however they want to term it, to really grab hold of it and share it with their people. Because we're looking at, who we are as humans um, and, and to tap into to the potential that we have and can bring to our our workspaces I think is is, is fantastic so yeah I'm, I'm really all for it and very excited uh, to, to know how organizations can can use this and drive drive performance so hello David thank you for joining me today you're, you're very welcome. Nice to be here. You are um, 
number three in my list of three consultants to speak to today for your your views and your slant on um, this whole concept of safe spaces, psychological safety. Um, Charlotte and Nina have some really interesting views on this. So I guess I kind of want to, before, without preempting and telling you what they said, uh, get your your take on this as a subject. Um, what does it mean to you? Do you have preferred terminology, psychological safety, safe spaces? Um, yes, I think I'm. I think safe spaces seems to be the phrasing that's most often used and I'm generally happy with that except I do think that um, sometimes it means different things to different people so it's quite important to clarify you know when talking about it what we mean and certainly from my if I go if I, I start from first principles really which is to think about the, uh, the nature of underrepresentation and disadvantage and indeed exclusion um, which is that um, it is about people with, uh, it is about some identities being marginalized and therefore power relationships being different um, between some people and others. And so for me, safe spaces is not so much about being safe for everybody, whatever that might mean, although of course that's, that's a good ambition to have, but more about um mitigating and or even removing the feelings of uh, unsafety that will um particularly lie with marginalized and underrepresented people so um that may be black staff in an organization if there are few of them um, who may feel um that they need to calibrate what they want to say because they um, may fear disadvantage if they say the wrong thing in a way that white staff won't necessarily feel that way uh, because the, the the structures and the systems and the approaches are um, are uh, may, may be more suited to white people than they are to black people so in short i would say it's about safety for people who are, are most disadvantaged yeah that's a really interesting take on it maybe a sl slightly different version to to the other two consultants in a way but um in some ways so how do we i guess the next question then is how do we do that um is it by looking at the experience of different groups within an organization and trying to adjust how we do things based on the insights that we gather um so yes i think those things are all important um, I think the starting point is about inclusive leadership uh, and all the work that can be done around inclusive leadership and what that can do is set a framework um, which, which is encouraging of diverse voices and um, uh, views and then what and then I think it depends on the organization and the size and the arrangements there because um, not everything will suit every organization but for example, for larger organizations, um, staff networks may be the right way forward, um, including uh, networks which focus on uh, women or uh, disabled staff or black people, um, for example. But that again, that may not be the right model for much smaller organizations where um, um, it may not actually be um, productive to when there's not many people there to start 
separating out further. Um, I suppose the other, the other way of more generally creating safe spaces is to reflect more diverse voices, not necessarily through staff, not only through staff networks, but through other forms of communication and messaging. And that, so that doesn't have to, that's also a way of it not being the responsibility of those groups to articulate those views. It can be delivered through the, through, through a kind of process of inclusive leadership that the, that the leaders have decided to take on themselves. So for you, this is, seems like it's, um, does it, you put a lot of emphasis on people's voices being heard and uh, everybody having, feeling that, that the safety of speaking up and um, yeah, having their voices heard. Yeah, I would, um, because I think that if that's if that is if that's the the state of play in an organisation, if if everyone really can feel that their voices are heard and will be listened to, um, and that their perspectives are taken into account, obviously not necessarily agreed with. That's that's not a requirement. Um, I think that that can do a lot to create. Well, first of all, safety for everybody, because although it might sound um, contradictory, but although at the beginning of this conversation, I was talking very much about marginalized people, I actually think creating uh, safety for them also creates safety for everybody else um, indirectly, because then um, it, it, it shows that there's room, as it were, for everybody. Um, mm. And um, it's just that to my mind, the starting point needs to be on those people who, who, whose voices may, who, who may feel that they are more marginalized to give them the space. And then it, there is an implicit sort of opening for everybody as a result. Yeah, yeah. So when I've spoken to Nina and, and Sharla earlier on today, we were talking a fair bit about vulnerability of, of leaders and then sort of acknowledging that, um, vocalising it in front of the rest of the staff and the, how that can contribute to this safe space um, that, we want, that we want to build in organisations. And there's a degree of, I think there's a degree of personal risk involved in that, um, which is, is an interesting point to unpick maybe. Um, I think, I think there is something about that. There's a there's a piece of work for for all leaders, and I ca I count myself in this. And when I ran organisations um, um, to undertake, which is there is a, a a way in which in order for this to work well, um, authenticity is important. Um, so. Um, if I, as a leader, am talking about the value of diverse voices and the importance of um, foregrounding those in an organisation where they may not have been heard, um, it's not going to work if I'm not believed, if it looks like I'm just saying something to tick a box, so to speak. Um, and so for me to be authentic, I need then to feel comfortable in knowing that I'm, um, uh, I... I, I have done whatever I need to do as a leader to understand why diversity is important, what inclusion will look like, um, why um, uh, pro proactive steps have to be taken in order to make it happen. It doesn't just happen naturally and it doesn't just happen because I'm at fault. It happens because of 
you know, normative structures, all of that will help me to be relaxed and, and natural, if that's not the wrong word about it, and therefore authentic. And mm. that will then translate in the organization as being real and afford confidence to everyone, including those people I'm reaching for, to, to participate. Mm. Okay, great. I mean, I, I think people may be listening to this podcast thinking, well, how is this different to in being inclusive and having an inclusive culture? And for me, from speaking to you three today, I feel like it's a strand of inclusion. It's very specifically about a, behavior, a set of behaviours and setting a tone within an organisation. How, how, how do you see that? I think that's absolutely right. So it, if, you, if, if you're committed to in, uh, being an inclusive leader and to an inclusive culture, um, you, one will understand that um, um, there are historic ways of doing things which have been exclusive, not inclusive. And um, in a way, being an inclusive leader is about working through and evolving to inclusion. And so that inevitably will mean putting attention on exclusive practices and equally on um, foregrounding voices of marginalized people. Not, one doesn't have to decide that one's done anything terribly wrong in the first instance before you do that. It's just part of, um, it, it's, it, it's no different from the kind of process issues or, or important process issues like about considering what, what flexible working arrangements you might, one might introduce to be more inclusive um, because historically they may simply not have been in place for whatever reason. Again, it's about, in as much as one might do that for a whole range of processes, um, inclusive leadership will, will also inevitably mean that we then think about voices, marginalized voices, and what, what may be helpful for them to bring them to the fore. So I think it is part, you're right, I think it is part and parcel of inclusive leadership. Mm -hmm. And as a final question, as, as our, um, our audit specialist, our diversity audit specialist, I guess we should talk about measurement. Yes. And how, how do you know when you've got to a place of psychological safety or creating a safer space at work? How do we measure this? That, that, that's a great um, that's a great question. I, I think there are, there's no one straightforward answer. There's a, a, a series of what you might call indicators. Um, I mean, the uh, keep um, pulse surveys or attitudinal surveys are important because you can ask questions like that of of your team. Um, they will only a pulse survey will only give you a snapshot of of uh, of how your staff are feeling or your stakeholders are feeling. But um, so to do it periodically and to, to do a trend analysis will, will itself help. And through that, you will, you will get an idea of directions of travel, things that may be working, things that are not working. Um, so I, um, I always, I, I'm a big fan of, um, you wouldn't be surprised here, I'm a big fan of uh, qualitative and quantitative data. I think it's key to helping one understand. Um, but it's a sort of reflexive process. So through the gathering of information, one can um, con consider what the next step is, trial it, test it, and see if it works. Mm -hmm. And the next steps are a range of things. They could be staff networks, they could be 
mentoring, they could be um, looking at one's policies again. Um, if one finds that there are real difficulties, then you might want to you bring in external consultants to focus on a particular area. Um, and I think, I think I, I could say quite a lot about this, but I, I think just in summary, I'll say it is important to recognize that this isn't necessarily straightforward because organizations are not just the sum of what's happening internally. They are the, they are influenced by external things as well. So it's, 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 it's a complex multi-dimensional process which requires attention. That is a fantastic thought to leave this podcast on, I think, David. Um, it, it's, it's not easy, it is complicated, but it is fascinating. And it's also making a real difference to people's uh, working lives. So uh, why we love what we do, I think all of those, all of those ingredients. But thank you very much. Um, it's been a, a fascinating day for me speaking to the three of you um, and I've learned a lot. So there'll be lots of notes to go with this episode, I think. Um, and we will uh, look forward to speaking to you all again soon. Thanks very much, Rachel. Thank you. I hope this month's episode has brought you new ways of thinking about inclusion at work and ideas for what you might do next in your organisation. Check out the episode description for social media accounts for us and for our guests. We'll be back again next month. This is an independent, advert-free podcast, and we rely on your support to keep making these broadcasts. We'd love it if you could subscribe, like, and review us. See you next time.